where I'm interested to see kind of how the Science Island story and the Arcadia story kind of bump up against each other is because the really beautiful thing about the Arcadia half of the story is that in very like small, quiet, intimate, character-driven moments, we finally got the stratospherically high stakes of the Black Rain and the Apocalypse. Like, the chickens really came home to roost in this episode. For Bellany and Kane and Harper, like, for those three characters in particular, these these very uh, sort of character and relationship-driven and very quiet and kind of, like, internally focused moments that we got of, like, their journeys over this episode... The abstraction element's gone. There is the sort of the big macro saber people thing, but there's also two people that Bellamy couldn't save. There's one person that Harper couldn't save. There's all the people that Kane feels like he can't save, including Harper and Bellamy. And and everyone's sort of worry about no one knows where the hell Octavia is. You know, so so it's been humanized and personalized in a way that over on Science Island, because the Black Rain hasn't come yet, there's still some distance, I think, for Abby and for Kane and Bellamy and everyone at Arcadia, the suffering right in front of them is the whole big hangar room full of screaming, dying people covered in radiation burns. I think the the shift between the reality and the abstraction of like the apocalypse is coming and it's not something that lives in the future as some abstract problem that we're trying to come up with a preemptive fix for. It's Bellamy stuck in the mud while one of the hundred dies over the radio because he can't get out of the car and push the car out of a ditch or he'll die too. Right, exactly. So I, I read the AV Club review of this episode, which I normally don't because I so violently disagree with the AV Club yeah. reviews like <laughs> yeah, all yeah. the time. The main thing that I agreed with is just they praised Bob Morley to the moon for his performance. And I was like, as you should. Yes. But at the beginning of the of the review, the reviewer pointed out something that I think has been kind of like niggling at me a little bit. And I couldn't, I hadn't quite totally figured out exactly what it was. There wasn't like, wasn't quite clicking as the first half of the season went on. That I think is actually better in this episode is that he pointed out Basically, like the first half of the season was hitting some diminishing returns in that the problem with having like such high, high, high stakes all the time, the problem with having everything be life or death state is that if everything is life or death, you know, then if everything means everything, then nothing means anything. You know what I mean? You know, it's like listening to music with no dynamics. You know, it's just loud, loud, loud all the time. And after a while, you just kind of become desensitized to it. So there's just like not enough contrast, you know, and I felt like there was less and less impact to events as the first half of the season went on. And I think part of it is that, that it was just sort of like, this is the biggest thing. Okay, this is the biggest thing. Okay, this is the biggest thing. You know, we're just kind of like, all right, all right, all right. You know, like there was just, it was, you know, too much of the same over and over. But I think the other part he pointed out is that there is also diminishing returns to saying, this is our only shot. The solutions that they've had so far have been their only shot like four times. And then they just keep being like, it's like, this is our only shot. And then it's gone. It's like, well, never mind. Well, we have this shot. Oh my God, our only shot is gone. Well, never mind. Well, now we have this shot. You know, so it's like, at a certain point, you're sort of like, I don't believe you when you say this is our only shot, Clark, because you've said that three times before and it has never been true. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think there's there's a little bit of a kind of like problem with that. Of Again, like a dynamics issue, just, just like really loud the whole time or really like high pitched the whole time. It makes it harder to appreciate the high stakes if there's nothing to contrast them with. But I don't think this episode really had that problem. Other than Clark making that claim about, like, this is our only shot, we have to do this. Which I think, like, in this episode is even less of an issue because, like we said, I think part of the point that's being built up is that 
those claims when Clark makes them are kind of false non-choices. That I think is be, being deliberately set up to be subverted. So like that issue is, you know, like it's kind of maybe an issue overall, but in this episode, I don't think it is. The other reason why I think this episode actually doesn't suffer from that high pitch of stakes issue, even though the stakes are still life or death, is because the the season sort of suffered from the same problem that Abby, that the people at Silence Island has, which is that up until now, those life or death stakes have been abstract. The radiation will come. It will do this, you know, like, so, so when Bellamy chose to save the slaves instead of, and, and, you know, use the hydrazine to blow up. Well, now we know that they fucking needed the hydrazine, you know, like if he hadn't mm-hmm. done that, they could have, they could power that rocket. But at the time that it happened, it felt, on the one hand, like we knew that that had big stakes because it went from 500 people they could save to 100. But on the other hand, it also felt a little bit like, hey, it's sunny outside. We got time. It just didn't feel quite completely real. There was a kind of disconnect between the way that the show and the characters were were treating the stakes and the way that they landed. And I think maybe that's the disconnect. And the great thing about Black Rain arriving in this episode is that you know, again, all that life or death, those life or death stakes are now completely concrete. It is no longer theoretical. When everybody in that storyline, and even, and it crosses over into Silence Island because we know, because we know Black Rain is here now, because we know what's happening at Arcadia, that does kind of give further weight to the life or death stakes at Science Island. That's what prompts Abby to say, okay, there might be something that we can do is Kane saying like, here's yeah. what happened. You know, we yeah. need a solution. And she, and then, and you see her kind of go like, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and him saying like, it's worse than we thought. We knew it was going to be bad, but it's even worse than we had predicted, you know, and we're, and we're not going to be able to just kind of like weather this storm, you know, pun intended, um, <laughs> until the death wave. Like this is a big problem even before the death wave comes. Yeah, like this isn't this isn't a sign that the future problem is on its way. It's a problem exactly, right now. Exactly, exactly. So, so I think because this episode delivered on the high, high, high stakes, the big picture, radiation's coming, life or death. You know, all of humanity's going to wipe out, wipe out stakes. I think that's one reason why this episode doesn't suffer from that issue that had kind of been kind of building up over the course of the first um, six episodes. And then, I mean, the other thing that is so beautiful, this is honestly like such a phenomenal episode. I can't believe. Oh my God. It was so that this was good. Done by first time writers for the show because it was. I know. Amazing. They understand this world and these characters. Yes. Yeah, like so Jason, deeply. like please lock them down for season five because. Oh my God. Yes, yes. So Terry Hughes and Ron Milbauer, you guys just rocked it. Keep them. Yes, Keep them forever. They were great. Do not let them go. The other part of it that I think made this episode not have the problem that previous episodes had is how beautifully they knit together the arrival of those humongously high stakes, life resist stakes, with the deeply personal emotional stakes for each individual character. That was just like masterfully done. Well, and the fact that it happened in a series of pretty confined, on the Arcadia side, sort of physically confined because everyone is trapped by the rain in these tiny little spaces, but also sort of like emotionally confined, very, very small stories that are about one character or two characters relationship with each other or one character is going to some deeply emotional place 
in a way where it felt like, I think, like, it was one of those sort of textbook, like, the way to raise the stakes is to make them smaller. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. The way to show us just how desperately panicked the people of Arcadia are by the arrival of Black Rain is to set us up all along for, like, the past several episodes that they've been doing these very orderly drills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then to show us that when it's actually for real, it's fucking chaos yes. and people are getting trampled and Harper, who is a good person with this huge heart, ends up leaving a man behind to get herself inside and then cannot move past her torment over having made that choice. Yes. So saying Black Rain is coming and everyone is preparing for it and we're seeing like there's an alarm and there's drills and like when they're in there and everyone's like ripping off their shirts and stuff, you know, Kane's telling her, okay, like put your clothes in the bin. Like they've been through this whole thing before. Right. There's like a little shelf right inside the door with whatever liquid they're putting on their burns. Like they practiced the shit out of this, but it was an abstraction then. Yes. And you can't practice that panic. It's the thing about drills. When it's a drill, you know it's a drill. And so you're always sort of being like, I'm practicing for this thing that's still hypothetical to me. Like, it's why, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you go through a fire drill. Like, if it's an actual fire, you're going to lose it. Yeah. People, people just do. And so that stampede to get in, once they realize that the black rain is physically burning them, the drill goes out the window. And so we get this, like... Very small story with this character who doesn't get a lot of screen time. And we go on this very deep emotional journey from beginning to end with Harper, where we're really living inside what it costs her as a person to feel like she made a choice to save her own skin and a human being is dying in front of her and she can't stop it. And there's nothing that Kane can say and there's nothing that she can do that makes that not true. That's what the stakes of the Black Rain are, is what happens to Harper now that she's a person who feels like she has cost an innocent life. Yeah. And it's all done in her sitting at the side of this dying man and we're watching her crying. And it's like, that's how you do it. Those little moments. So I think that now that our characters in Arcadia are experiencing that, and now that that's crossed over into Science Island, now it's no longer an abstraction. Like, it hasn't come for them yet, but it's come for their people. Yeah, I mean, and that is, of course, a humongous factor in Abby finally doing it. Because if there's anything in the Science Island storyline that genuinely does change the nature of the choice they make it's that that's the factor i think more than anything else that that there is no time for hesitation and that you know exactly what you're facing if this doesn't work you know if you can't make this work in time it's just like it's this this crucible you know the where where you have to look at you're sort of sourced to forced to face parts of yourself that you didn't know were there and you didn't maybe never ever wanted to know were there <laughs> i was thinking of um I'm rewatching Community with um, my husband right now, and there's an episode where Chevy Chase's character, who's just like this increasingly horrible guy, his name is Pierce, yeah. um, and you can tell, like, you can tell the the feud, how how the feud between Chevy Chase and the creator of the show, Dan Harmon, is kind of like ratcheting up oh, yeah. by like how horrible they make Pierce. So there's this whole episode where Pierce, he like lands in the hospital. And he's mad at the rest of the study group. And the way that he gets revenge is that he's like, he, you know, he pretends that he's dying and he's going to like bequeath his gifts, his final gifts to them. And all the, the gifts that he gives are like, are basically like giant mind fucks kind of, um, you know, so like uh, the main character, he says like, I found your father. And he hasn't like, he never knew his father and all this stuff. But there's this one, uh, for one character, Britta, who is 
the one who says bagel wrong, like me. Um, <laughs> she's a sort of like, not a caricature because the character is very deep, but she's, she's like social justice in the worst, shallowest kind of way. You know, she's like all talk and like angry, but not, you know, not always a lot of action. And she's got like, she's super fucked up and all this stuff. So his gift to her is he gives her a blank check for $10,000. And he's like, you can just fill in the charity of your choice. And of course, like the rest of the episode, she's just sitting there staring at the check and thinking like, I could pay off my student loans with this. I could pay my rent. You know, I could like, she's like thinking about all this, like what this money means to her. Cause she's, you know, she's like a community college student. She has no money. And then there's a scene where she, um, oh, and also like the other thing about this is very meta thing where their friend one of the, the study group Abed is filming it as a kind of like documentary thing, but it's like, that's the, that's, it, it's filmed in the format of like Parks and Rec. And so there's this whole meta commentary on, on sitcom format because it's community. But anyway, so there's this one point where, where Britta is like talking to the camera and she holds up the chai and she's like, I wrote in red, the red cross and I'm putting it in this um, jar, you know, cause they're in the hospital. And she's like, but the thing is, the worst part is that if this camera wasn't here, if you weren't filming me, I would have taken this money and kept it. And now I have to know that about myself for the rest of my life. And that's Pierce's revenge, is that one way or another, you know, she's going to have to know. Harper and Abby, where there's a kind of like, there's a situation that forces you to realize that the choice that you want, maybe wanted to believe that you would have made in a situation is not the one that you will make. You have to sort of face yourself honestly in a way that you aren't otherwise forced to face yourself. I think the core thing happening in, in all of the different little Arcadia side storylines really has to do with facing, oh shit, this is the person that I really am, or facing the worst, darkest things that you think about yourself and having to kind of confront whether or not they're true. Yeah. Because I think that for, yeah. I think that for Abby and for Harper, the true reality is that in this situation, I cannot escape the fact that I am a person who made this choice. Like that Harper, Harper is a person who in, in, and it's not her fault and it isn't a character flaw and she didn't do anything. She was just, she was merely a human being, Yeah. but she left a man behind and that is going to eat at her and our, and Abby has chosen to take a life and that's going to eat at her. Yeah. I think the thing that's really devastating about the Kane and Bellamy flip side of that is that their perception of their worst and darkest selves is worse than the reality. You know, there's a, there's a kind of honesty in in it with Harper and Abby where it's like, this is a thing that I did. And, and now it's sort of about how do you move forward from that? Bellamy and Kane have never been people who hold back from facing the darkest truths about themselves where they go wrong is overly self-recriminating to a point that they're sort of paralyzed, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I was thinking about when we were talking last week and the week before about the three characters who we were sort of the most concerned, like, what are they doing with these people? What is their arc? What's happening? They've had some good moments, but like big, big question mark about whether it's actually going anywhere that has kind of a structure to it, which was, Bellamy and Octavia and Kane. And I feel like the unifying thread, I, I think that they this was a a 
banner episode for all three of them that really kicked off in three very distinct ways where I feel like their arc is going and and really tied together, which is that it really felt to me like what we got for all of the, for all three of those people is if you sort of look at it from the context of the kind of from the ashes we will rise sort of running theme it's like all three of them were like in the ashes everything has been burned away this is real rock bottom yes you know like this is the deepest darkest most hopeless most there's nowhere else left to go down from here place and with octavia she got there earlier we saw her hit the bottom and then come back up. Like hitting actual rock bottom off the cliff was not her rock bottom. Like her rock bottom was after almost dying, being willing to like walk out into the black rain and like trying to take her own life anyway. And then being so distraught that she turns to Ilian and is like, I will do literally anything to avoid feeling the things that I'm feeling. Like that's rock bottom for Octavia. That's Mm -hmm. as low as she goes. Mm -hmm. And then we see that that does actually purge something out of her so she got burned down to ashes and now she's rising and we don't know what's going to happen to her or who she's going to become but she turned that corner and I think that for Cain and for Bellamy as individual people and in their relationship with each other the episode ended with them still in that darkest worst place where Octavia was at the end of last episode where, where all artifice and all of the comforting things that you tell yourself And all illusions are sort of burned away and you are left with just yourself and facing every single one of your failures and every single thing that you hate about yourself and you cannot escape those things and you feel like you are entirely powerless and that you fucked up everything. Now what? And so it's so it's unbelievably difficult to watch. Oh, yeah. This is like the saddest episode. Oh my God, it was so, so sad. sad. But I also feel like what kept it from being bleak for the sake of bleakness is that we watch Octavia lift out of that place and and that we've been hearing this reiterated through the whole season, this theme of from the ashes we will arise. Which, which means, I think, a number of different things in the context of a number of different characters. Um, and we still obviously haven't gotten the sort of the literal, like, the Cadigan end of it. But I think in a, in a metaphorical sense, I think what it's telling us is that we're watching everybody hit rock bottom so that they can be reborn as some new, truer, more honest thing. So that's why I feel like Bellamy had to say to Kane what he said to Cain, as much as it felt like being punched in the stomach, like for Cain and for me, (laughs) you know, but he had to say it because the entire framework of their relationship that they've built on the ground has been built around all these things that they weren't saying to each other or all of these things that weren't being acknowledged. And in order to confront those things and then rise up from that dark place, Bellamy had to say it and Cain had to hear it. And they both had to sort of let that rift open up between them so that then later, if they rebuild their relationship, they can rebuild it from a place where they're taking into account that all of these things are simultaneously true. It is both true that... Marcus Cain killed Bellamy's mother. And it is also true that the relationship that they built on the ground 
is so real and genuine that when Kane says, I'm proud of you, that he means it. And it is also true that he's one of the only characters on this whole show that Bellamy trusts implicitly enough that he talks about his mom, that he lets Kane see him cry. All those things are true at the same time, but you can't pull out just one of those threats. Kane is not Bellamy's father, but he wants to be, you know, he had to face that. So I feel like for all three of those people, I think for, for Kane and for the Blakes, and I think also in, in, in her own way, I think for Harper too, the idea of, of being kind of burned down to the ashes, of being sort of like reduced to the, the deepest, darkest, most hopeless, there is nowhere else to go place as a necessary first step to who you're going to become next in some ways that could be really extraordinary and and beautiful and heroic but come from a place of like deep deep honesty that all had to happen and it's just like it's just horrible yeah yeah god (laughs) it's like harrowing it's like the saddest thing to ever sad but i mean i think the other the other important part about about that burning down to your foundations and then having to rebuild that is important. And and I think this is maybe like most true or maybe most obviously true for Bellamy, but I think it's also true for Kane is that both Kane and Bellamy in different ways are forced to confront the coping mechanisms or beliefs about themselves or beliefs about how it's best to be or really kind of like the ways that they've made decisions. And they're forced to confront the fact that those ways no longer work. For Bellamy, it's the kind of like my sister, my responsibility. And and with that, that the, and then the whole sort of constellation of fucked up things that he believes based on that, that his role or his worth is tied up in his ability to save other people, that, that he exists to save other people or to protect his people from pain or from suffering, that if he's unable to do that for any reason, he has failed or he is a failure. And, and of course, Octavia is the core of that. It started right. with Octavia when he was a child and, and when he came down to the ground, it was about Octavia. And we, we've seen him over the seasons kind of expand that circle of caring. So first it was the delinquents and then it was all a sky crew. Bellamy had to reach a point where this thing that drives him and also this thing that he believes is what is the only thing that kind of makes him good. It was like the good part mm-hmm. about him. And it is, it is good. You know, I'm not saying like it's, it's, an, it's totally bad. It is a beautiful thing about Bellamy. Right. But he had to get to a place where not only didn't it work, but it never would have worked. Like, that was a failed mission. Right. And it was right. almost a suicide mission. Like, Kane was right. He never should have done that. He had to sort of confront that failure in order to be able to confront where he was at with Octavia in order to confront the fact that this inappropriate sense of responsibility that we talked about last week on the podcast a bunch, for Octavia specifically, but also for everyone around him, for everything that happens to people that he cares about. He needed to kind of get that burned down to its basic components to get to a point where he could hear Kane say, you can't people who save people who don't want to be saved. And like sometimes just situationally, you can't save them. And that does not mean anything about you. Exactly. Because Bellamy fundamentally believes that it's about him. And that's the belief yeah. that's holding him back. You know, and that's the belief that led that led him to follow Pike out onto that battlefield and kill that army mm-hmm. last last season. Like that that yeah. is the core of what's good about Bellamy, but it's also the core of his worst and ugliest deed. You know, shooting Jaha, all the sort of like terrible controlling things he did to Octavia in the beginning of season one. Throwing away the radio was a different thing. That was him trying to save his skin. But like, you know, the bad shit that Bellamy did in season one 
the bad shit that he did in season three, it all comes from that motive. And he's willing to do it because he believes that the only kind of like the only good thing about him, the thing that makes him good is that he protects his people, that he'll do anything to protect the people that he loves. And I think this is the signal that he needs to sort of let go of that and revisit it and build a new Bellamy. Not jettison everything, but figure out a way to let go of the kind of core belief that is destructive to him and is kind of like the problem in his relationship with Octavia. Let go of that and find a new way to go forward. And I think that means letting go of that responsibility. You know, again, realizing Mm -hmm. when it's about him and when it's not about him. Right. And figuring out like, what would a version of Bellamy look like who understood from the beginning that those people were not going to make it? Yes, exactly. Well, for him and for Harper, it's like they, these people died because rain that kills you on contact is falling from the sky. Your perception that you could have stopped that is bananas. You don't have the power to stop that. You don't have the responsibility to stop that. And your and your belief that it is your job to stop that is putting you in danger. Yes. Like when when Kane tells him he's when Bellamy's like, okay, I'm gonna get out of the car and use the winch. And Kane's like, then three people die, you idiot. Your need to save others at the expense of yourself has reached the point of insanity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Kane is factually accurate about everything that he says to Bellamy yes. about this mission. And yet Bellamy had to go to that extreme mm-hmm. and end up stuck in a ditch two minutes away mm-hmm. from Mark and Peter. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I didn't that I didn't catch until I was rewatching it, I didn't catch that it was a father and a son. Yes. And I think that was a really important detail. That it was a kid, a kid who was a delinquent. Yes. And so Bellamy has that hardwired from day one fundamental i am in charge of you i am your protector you're one of my ducklings (laughs) yes exactly but it's also a family the ways in which this episode was about families yeah the union of clark of clark and abby was was so so beautiful we got all of that sort of like mother-daughter intimacy but we also got in a really subtle way that i didn't notice until rewatching it again when octavia is talking to ilian it's the moments where he mentions his brother that she responds yes. visibly, sometimes subtly, but it's the fact that Ilian had a brother, yeah. Ilian sharing a room with his brother, Ilian having to kill his own brother, that we see that trigger a reaction in her. So like no matter how far she has run away from Sky Crew, Bellamy, she's never not thinking about yes. Bellamy. I noticed that too. She like sort of winces when he mentions his brother. That's That's when she looks at him. She's like staring at the fire yes. the whole time. But when she says, when he mentions his brother, she looks up at him. Yep. That, that connection is there. It's still there. Yeah. And Bellamy and Aurora and like Bellamy is like remembering his mom passed out. And so he's the only person there to take care of this baby. What the fuck does a six-year-old do with the baby? Like, and then the kind of the, the found family moment yeah. too. Like Kane wants to be everyone's father and he isn't. So he can't actually fix mm-hmm. this. You yeah. know, I think that tying in with the fact that it's a father and a son. It's a father trying to save his son's life. And it's this kid over whom Bellamy feels this sort of kind of brotherly, kind of fatherly protectiveness of all of the original delinquents the fact that it that it wasn't just like it's just two random people you know that it was like it's a parent and a child that bellamy is trying to save is this sort of very sort of delicate little thread kind of tying all these sort of family stories together where what this really became about was the depth of those core bonds that these people have with each other is what makes the stakes what they are yeah yeah and so the fact that it never lets you off the hook for a second in the realization that 
even though neither of them can say it out loud until sort of these most kind of extreme moments that like, you know, Octavia and Bellamy are worried sick that the other one is out there stuck in this rain. And Octavia can't say it, especially not to Ilian. And and Bellamy has convinced himself that Octavia is not the reason why he's doing this until he finally says, like, look, I can't save her, but I can save them. Yeah. And Kane's like, that's... Uh, no, you're going to just kill yourself. You know? Yeah. I think that family thread running through it was super, super, super important because it really recentered us. And, like, that's why the painful things are painful mm-hmm. because these people love each other so mm-hmm. much, you know, and that love is real. And also Bellamy's love for Octavia doesn't mean that he has the capacity to rescue her. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm kind of, in a kind of, like, double way. Like, it doesn't – his love for her doesn't make him capable – of rescuing her kind of like physically from the rain. But his love, I think also doesn't make him capable of saving her from her like psychological, emotional pain. Exactly. And, and, and very importantly, they love each other very, very much, but they cannot be the person who heals the other one right now. That's the other thing that, yes. that's the other thing that Bellaby has to learn. You cannot save her from any of this. Not just logistically, but because you aren't the one who can save her this time. Like sometimes, no matter how much you love someone, and particularly with family. I mean, again, I think it's really important that Kane keeps pointing out like, but you also need to save yourself. Because like, Bellamy also can't save himself emotionally, you know, if he keeps trying to save Octavia emotionally. So they really, they have to be separate right now, I think. Yeah, and they have to be in relation to and in connection with people who aren't each other. Yeah, yeah. Which is such a real, like, a real deep truth of how of how sometimes the people who are the closest to you are the least helpful. The Octavia storyline, I think, was a really interesting little sort of slice of psychological and emotional reality of how it is sometimes much easier to show these things to somebody who's a stranger, yes. somebody that you don't like. Yes. You know? somebody, somebody where, like, it, the risk is so much lower. Because there are yeah, no yeah, yeah. stakes. If they react poorly and reject you, like whatever happens, it doesn't matter. They, they weren't in your life before. They won't be there after. And then the other thing is, of course, since they don't have a relationship to you, you can't hurt them with those feelings. Right, exactly. Strangers yeah. are easier because the stakes are so much lower. And and like with a relationship like Bellamy and Octavia's, the stakes are always so high emotionally. The fact that they love each other so much that they're that they are so important to each other actually makes it more difficult for them to communicate with each other I think yeah. in a really really yeah. real kind of way what it reminded me of I was living with my sister when our mom died and like we were we were roommates our whole lives she's very much I think wanted to have the kind of relationship with me where we're each other's person to talk about everything and I yeah. just like it's always been easier for me to be like open and honest about stuff with my friends and it is with my family just and I don't know why I'm just sort of wired that way but I remember like when we were living together I had to tell her and she was so 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 hurt and it was really hard but I had to finally be like I can't be your person for this I can't be the person that you go to to process your grief for our mother like I can't carry both of us like I can barely carry myself yeah yeah and for like a very real reason where it's like when you talk about your grief for your for our mom you trigger my grief for our mom you know, like, right, I can't right. process your grief when I'm processing mine. 
Right, right. It's like I, I have to put on my own life preserver yeah, yeah, before yeah. I help the person next to me. Like you got to put on your own oxygen mask. I had to process what I was feeling through people who were not where I was. You know, you have yeah. to sort of like you go up the ladder, yeah. you know, and they, yeah. I, I had to go outside. And it was a really difficult thing to say because it was impossible for her to not feel like rejected yeah. by that. But it was just sort of like I barely had the capacity to get through the day just with my own side of it. And so I was thinking a lot about how important it is for both Bellamy and Octavia, but I think especially for Octavia, who has so few people that she can really lean on and that she can really be open with that like she needed a person to process this with and a way to process the things that she was feeling that had absolutely nothing to do with Bellamy like this person who's never even met Bellamy the thing about Ilian is Ilian doesn't look at Octavia and see Bellamy's sister yeah his his context for who she is is totally different and I think that that's what was always really appealing to her about the grounders as a whole and the individual grounders that she had a relationship with, like Indra, like Lincoln, that they didn't immediately contextualize her as like, oh, you're that girl from the Ark, from the floorboards, or like, oh, you're Bellamy's little sister, you know, like that she's, that she was, that she was just herself, you know, Alien doesn't even know about Lincoln, like yeah. Alien knows nothing about the people in her life that everyone around Octavia sort of inherently links her with you know she was Indra's second she was Lincoln's girlfriend she was Bellamy's sister she was the girl from the floorboards on the ark Ilian just sees her as a whole person just herself in the, in this one very 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 dark moment of her life and so he can see her in a way that these other people really can't I sort of went into it thinking like and I sort of like I made a joke to Sam and Brittany before the episode I was like oh my god if there's Octillian hate sex I quit the show <laughs> And then when I saw it and I was kind of like, no, actually, like, you know what? This feels super psychologically accurate to me. Like, yeah. this feels like the depth that Octavia has hit where, like, she's gone through, like, all the transformations that she's gone through. She hit a self-destructive place where she needed someone who had no connection to, like, not just to Bellamy, but to any part of her past life that she could just kind of, like, dump everything on in, like, a hundred different ways. You know, she tries to kill him, and then she's horrible to him, and she says all these awful things, and she gives him shit, you know, and then she tries to kill herself, and she, like, won't, like, and she's fighting back when he tries to stop her, and then they bang, and it's like, okay, so she's gone through, like, so there's, like, a whole lot going on. But she's purging all of this dark shit with somebody for whom, like, all he knows about her is just, you are a person who is deeply hurting. Yeah. And it isn't about any other person except her, herself, in that moment. And she's never had that. Yeah, that's true. What are what were your Octavia thoughts? I was a little more on the fence about it. I liked it better the second time I watched I like the overall direction that Octavia, like the arc that she went through over the course of the episode, I really, really liked. And I thought it was like a really cool moment. It's like a little sort of subtle thing that she stuck her knives in the fire overnight. And then in the morning, she pulls them out and she drops them in the water. I thought it was like a really interesting choice to have her go from the fire to the water, especially since with like Ilion sort of being tied to the fire, uh, the Arcadian fire. And from the ashes you rise, I don't know, I just thought it was like kind of, I don't exactly know what to do with that just yet, but it felt like significant to me. There was just something about like moving from the fire to the water, you know, as, as a kind of like burning away of something and then sort of like dropping the knives into the water to be cleansed. I don't know. It just kind of felt, it felt to me like it was a, it was an interesting choice and a significant moment. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and particularly in that sort of like 
Like, I feel like Octavia is really surrounded by a lot of very big, important visual symbolism. Falling off the cliff and emerging from the water. And then in this one, we have sort of like knives in the fire and then dropping them in the water. The long night that she has, the torturous, you know, long dark night of the soul that she shares with Ilion. And then when the dawn comes <laughs> and the storm clears and blah, blah, blah. But, um... So I, so I really like that arc for Octavia. Kind of overall, I like that we see her sort of like once again, like the end of last episode, she sort of, she had to relive um, what happened with, with Lincoln. She had to sort of like reconfront that pain. And so in this episode, I think I sort of like that we see she's trying to swallow it back down again. You know, she's trying to kind of get it back under control in the way that it was. And it's clear that it's not really working as well. The, the amount of time between trigger and then pushing it back down and then the return of the pain is getting smaller and smaller. So I like that, that, that she was sort of forced to confront it again through Ilion. And it was kind of cool the way that Ilion just kept stumbling on, you know, like really key elements of it. You know, it's like, I can tell you're hurting. Yeah. He doesn't know anything yeah. about it, you know, yeah. but he like, but again, like this sort of like the family thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. and then he talks about going home. And I think that kind of hit her that she doesn't have that home. And, and these sort of just like, these little bits or like Lincoln, what did she say? She said last, last season, Lincoln was her home. You know, so he says he's going home and that's the trigger to Lincoln. She doesn't have a home. Yeah. Lincoln's gone, you know, and he talks about his brother and that's another little trigger. I think like the way that the crisis is precipitated, is really really makes a lot of sense you know you can see the kind of like slow drip 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 of like little things that drive her to finally snap and i think snap in a kind of new way where again Ilian sort of forces her to admit that she's running from something you know that she's running from her pain and that she's running from herself when when she says to him just make me feel something else you know i think that's a breakthrough for octavia because before that she had been denying that she felt anything you know she's like no 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 it's like octavia's dead this is who i am you know like this is me dead inside you feel bad about murder. I don't. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, I think it sort of forced her to admit to herself that all of those were lies and that she was just running from it. And I think that's the big uh, shift, you know, so I really like that. Oh, I remember. Okay. I was, I knew there was another thing with flame that was significant that I thought of before, but I forgot. Now I remember. So the last time before, you know, the end of this ep- last episode, this episode that Octavia broke down was when they burned Lincoln's body. So I thought it was really interesting that they kind of had the like the fire between the camera and her face, which is how if you go back to demons, the funeral pyre, that that was the way that was, I think, like everyone was sort of filmed through these flames, you know, through the the sort of flames consuming um, Lincoln's body. So the last time she really confronted this was when Lincoln was burning. So I thought it was really interesting that when she was trying to keep the walls up, you know, when she's having that conversation, there was that fire, you know, she's sort of looking into right. the fire. She puts her knives into that fire. And then when it's over, the fire has burned out. She removes them from fire. She puts them in water. I thought that was like an interesting visual bit of symbolism to tie back to Lincoln, Lincoln's final resting place, to move from flame to flame burned out to a new element. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm to convey that sort of like symbolically or visually. And of course, like that ties into the, from the ashes we will rise, you know, like there's ashes and and Octavia rising. So there's that too. But my big, like, I guess my question marks still, I mean, I think it worked for Octavia. I still have some sort of question marks about like, what exactly is Ilian's motivation there? You know, 
I was a little bit sort of like, so now you like her so much that you're willing to hang out and play therapist with her for a while? Like, I I didn't, it didn't, I feel like it didn't track, but then I think also maybe that that because, like, we don't know that much about Ilian, he hasn't had, he's been around that much, I'm also just sort of like, I don't really feel like I have a grasp on his character, you know, and this is a little bit different from the way that I had, I would have expected his character to react. So I don't know, I don't know. I guess there's, like, stuff to explain it. I don't know. Like, they don't really explain why he was following Octavia. But then, like, she saves him from the rain, you know? So that might be a thing where, you know, it's kind of, like, shifting. Well, she didn't shoot him, and then she saves him from the rain. So I guess that, you know, those are the bits that kind of tell him she's not the cold-hearted murderer that she claims she is. Like, he knows she's not because... She did these things. Like, besides being like, I'm here to make this this arc happen for Octavia. I was like, I don't really have a sense of you having internal character motivations. But anyway. Right. So something that I think is interesting is that the episode where, like, Octavia has her sort of fake death and we were kind of speculating, like, a whole big transformation happening that then didn't immediately materialize in the one after it. But I actually think that it did here because I think the thing that, the thing that is unquestionably true is that Octavia had that near-death experience and came out of it a person who can't kill anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. So it took, I think it took a couple episodes of payoff. Yeah. But she was permanently changed by that sort of water experience i guess like that sort of that that metaphorical water rebirth it just didn't happen immediately she still kind of had a little bit further to fall kind of emotionally yeah you know rejecting bellamy rejecting kane running away from home all you know almost murdering somebody having to really like you said last time like really look in the eye the reality of what happened which is that she lost Lincoln and now she feels like she's totally adrift Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and everything else that she layered on top of that from blaming Bellamy to the like murderiness we watched all those kind of defense mechanisms get purged one by one over the course of like a couple of episodes so so if if sort of Octavia's rebirth is to do with the water stuff. The first piece of that is she, you know, falls off the cliff into the water. (laughs) But the second piece of it is those are Lincoln's knives. Like Lincoln gave her those knives. Oh, I forgot that. Oh, that makes it so much bigger. So the knives get sort of cleansed in in the fire when she's, you know, and then so she throws them into water and then she leaves them behind. Yes, yes, yes. I think what happened is I think we were right about that water symbolism, but it just, it didn't pay off until several episodes. And, and, and then of course that it's rain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's rain that burns too, which is kind of, yeah. Exactly. It's water that burns you that sequesters her into a place that contains healing water. Yeah. So I think we were right about what that fake death, that near death, almost death moment meant for her but it was setting up something that was a slower burn, <laughs> a slower arc to resolve that for her to really turn that corner where she's trapped in this place that has both water and fire with the person who burned her home down. Right. And so, so I think that there's, there's a lot of different sort of fire, water symbolism stuff happening. But I think what I found satisfactory about it was feeling like, okay, so 
so the the birth of the new Octavia rising up from the ashes, another flame metaphor. <laughs> thing happening. You know, that it, it begins when Echo stabs her. She falls off the cliff into the water. That's the, that's the beginning of that moment. And then the end of that moment is her dropping Lincoln's knives into the clean water that saved her the night before from the burning water. Yeah. And, then, and then walking away and leaving that cave and going out into the sun and the rain is gone. Right. And, and going and finding Ilian and saying, I'll take you home. Like showing that she's returning to a more open, less angry, less resistant, you know, that, that she's going out and she's literally extending a hand and and choosing to like keep developing a relationship instead of what she was doing before with like with Bellamy, which is like trying to push everyone away, trying to keep anyone from caring about her. This is her reaching out. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and it's and I think it's only possible because this is somebody with whom she has no baggage right. and no past relationship. Yes. And so she can in a way start over a little bit. And you know, and something else that I noticed and I and every time I rewatch the episode I I noticed it more and I cannot tell if it was just my brain or what but she looked like season 1 Octavia again. There were moments where for me, I don't know, I don't know if it was Marie, if it was facial expressions, I don't know if it was no grounder braids, no grounder makeup, no Skyripa outfit. There was moments throughout the whole thing where she's in that cave and then really at the end where I, I felt on a sort of visceral sense, little flashes of like when he says like that that old version of you before this bad stuff happened is still in there. Like, I felt like I could see it. There was moments mm. where I saw that Octavia yeah. for a second. Yeah. And maybe like a little softness in her face. I mean, it might be Marie. Yeah. yeah it might be Marie doing it. I think it was. I, th- I think it was letting her face be expressive again yeah. in a way that she had really carefully trained herself out of doing before. Yeah. You know, like where... If you look at the way that she sits, you know, like across from Kane when she gets called to the principal's office <laughs> and how like how blank and stiff and tightly wound and completely contained and sort of frosty she is and how almost expressionless her face is that whole time. And then you think about the way that she looks at Ilya when she says, here, go on the horse to take you home. It was subtle enough that I was like, am I like hallucinating this? Right. You know? <laughs> it felt like I was watching the reemergence of some version of Octavia that we haven't seen since the first season. Yeah. And and I think the fact that it's tied to Ilian and the butterflies makes me feel like it's intentional. Yes, good point, because she's heading to the glowing forest. She's heading to the butterflies. Yes, yes. Oh, man. I think we're meant to see a new softness. Like, I, th- I think that them stripping off their clothes, like, it's not just because they're naked in a cave for sexy times purposes. <laughs> It's a totally like stripped down to the skin version of Octavia with all of her grounder gear, like all of her sort of costume that she puts on to feel like Skyripa, to feel like badass Octavia with all of that removed and in just like her underwear with no warrior makeup and just her hair in a ponytail sitting by a fire sharpening her knives she's naked and exposed to him Mm -hmm. in ways go way beyond the physical because she literally had to shed her own persona she's just like a person sitting there she doesn't have any of that armor on literally or figuratively and so that's interesting to me i still feel like there's a way to have told that story that didn't involve them having to have sex (laughs) but i'm not mad at it I, i think 
I think it's a it's messy in ways that feel very psychologically realistic and accurate. I think it's important to sort of be careful of the terms in which we have that conversation so that it doesn't sort of veer into kind of slut shamey yeah. places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we're we're really talking about like narratively was this necessary narratively like in the arc of the story does it work as a feeling character for who octavia is and for who ilian is too that he went along with it and and to me i felt like going into it i was like oh my god if they have sex in the cave i'm gonna bark <laughs> and then the first time i saw it i was like well mm. and then by the time i watched the episode the third time i was like i feel like it makes sense for who they are and i feel like in some ways it felt like I think that she kind of had to do something that like that's her rock bottom moment, you know, like that she's that she's grieving the love of her life and she sleeps with somebody else just to feel something like like just to feel shitty about a different thing. (laughs) Right. You know, right, right, right. Yeah. Like people really do that. That is absolutely a thing that people do. And But it is also absolutely the kind of thing that once you've done it, you're like, okay, so there's no, I, I can sink no lower than this moment. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> like, like, like I fucked a stranger in a cave because I missed like my dead lover. Like, okay, Octavia, get back in this. Well, house. and there's also the kind of like very, very basic viscerals. If you can't feel any physical or any emotional pleasure, all that's left to you is physical pleasure. So an orgasm is like 10 seconds of feeling something, feeling some pleasure that when you're feeling nothing but terrible things or when you're feeling nothing. Having sex with Ilion gives her at least, at least a few moments where she, where she isn't thinking. Yeah. She needs to not think and she needs to not feel what she's feeling for Lincoln and she will do anything else to avoid that. Right. And you're literally in a cave. Like, your choices are pretty limited. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. She, she can't eat. Like, there's no, like, chocolate there. You know, like, she can't eat her feelings. <laughs> yeah. And she tries the self-harm route, and Alien is like, not on my right, watch. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it felt to me, I think the more I watched it, the more I felt like, I think it 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 isn't something that would necessarily be my first choice, because I feel like you do have to be careful a little bit of like, is sex how we solve every problem? But I also do feel like, I think it made sense for who she was. I think it made sense for where she was at. And I think that the idea that, that that, that not almost killing Ilian, but sleeping with Ilian is the moment that she realized, like I've crossed a line for myself, where even I'm realizing like, this isn't healthy. (laughs) Right, right, right. Like this, this is not bringing Lincoln back, you know? And so I think I don't, necessarily know that i believe that it's being set up as a long-term love interest i don't i don't think so either but i think it it bonds but it creates a connection yeah it creates a connection that is going to that i think will make it possible for her to deepen the connections that they have i mean she's going to his home you know so like i think it creates a connection that makes it possible to for her to go to a place with him where those kind of family connections he has will help her sort of gently reopen or, or make her able to feel and sort of confront and deal with the family connections that she has with Bellamy that she's been trying to push away and confront her her deeply conflicted feelings about him for him. And, you know, and I think it's also significant. Ilian is a person who is coping with having done horrible things to his family. So he's going back home and it's not just sort of like, oh, yay, fluffy, like fluffy memories about my brother and my dad and my mom. You know, he's like, 
when he, when he tells her about it the first time, he's like, I don't know if I can go back there, you know, because if I go back there, I'll remember my brother, you know, sleeping with him, my brother who I killed. You know, I'll remember my father whose throat I slit. You know, I'll remember my mother whose mm-hmm. fingers I cut off. So Ilian's going to go back and I think be significantly, he's going to go back to a place that reminds him of people he loves and the love he had for them. And also going to be very, very painful and remind him of the pain that he inflicted on him and the pain that he suffered because of them. So that feels really significant to me for Octavia. Because, you know, I was thinking, I got a I got a bunch of anons today about Bellamy and Octavia stuff. And, and you know, like, I think there's a lot of kind of, a lot of, like, frustration with, with Octavia and with both of them, but with like, you know, sort of like Octavia and her and the way that she's been treating Bellamy. And I got I got one today that person was basically just I like, venting. But but the the kind of thrust of what they were saying was, I get where they're going or where you think that they're going with Octavia, but for me personally, for that person, for that, you know, that person who sent the ask, she's like he or she, whoever it was, was like, uh I I need for Octavia to acknowledge that, you know, she has been cruel and caused pain to her brother, both physical and emotional, in order to forgive her and and basically, like, to forgive the writers, you know, just kind of, like, feel okay with her again. And and when I answered it, I was basically, like, at the time, I was sort of, like, well, I, I genuinely have no idea for ever to see that, you know, like, because I, I could see, I think, I was sort of feeling, like, basically, since, since Octavia beating Bellamy last season, I've been sort of, like, I really, I couldn't, you know, like we talked about a bunch, I couldn't tell what the hell they were going for there at the time. It's become a little bit clearer since, but it's still like that scene itself, the tone is all over the place. It's like really, really difficult to figure out. Like, it was also really difficult to figure out if they were aware of the full stakes of it and if they ever had any interest in actually dealing with it. And and I was kind of leaning towards no. You know, I was like, it felt like a thing where they did it without really realizing what it was going to mean. And they have since been like, you know what? We're just going to pretend that never happened because, like, that's the thing. Like, we didn't, you know, the kind of, like, implications of it are implications that they didn't intend to be in the story. So they're just going to, like, proceed as if they aren't there. And, like, I was kind of, I had gotten myself to a point where I was sort of like, that's fine with me. You know, like, whatever. I'm, I'm willing to write that off as, like, well, that didn't work. That was not a good idea. Let's just move on. Because, like, I just hate that. <laughs> I just, like, don't want to deal with it. <laughs> and also, you know, and, and, I, and I told this to the Anon, it's like, I, I've never been able to be mad at Octavia for that because I never really processed that, you know, like, my issues with the writing and the execution of that scene were so huge that I never actually could get to the point where I could, like, engage with it emotionally, you know? <laughs> what I see is the characters being made to do things that aren't working Therefore, I can't really get to the point where I think of Octavia as a person who is responsible for this. That's how I feel about the when it, when Abby slaps Raven. Yeah, I'm the same yeah, way where yeah. it's like Abby slaps Raven, and I'm mad at the writers. Yeah, I'm not mad exactly. at Abby. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, you know, like if this were a convincing moment, I might be mad at her for doing a bad thing. But as it is, I'm just sort of like I can't even like begin to wrap my brain around that being yeah, a real yeah. thing because it just did not. You know, that for me has no emotional sort of carryover for for Octavius. So I was always just kind of like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like if you never deal with it that's fine I'm happy to forget that it happened um, but there's a lot of people who don't feel that way and, and I do think it's legit you know for all the people who are who are really upset about that like I think that's totally legit you know like that was a really viscerally difficult to watch scene and you know just because I feel this way doesn't mean that I think that everybody else should you know so like so if you feel that right, way then yeah. like I get it you know I just I, I never I never I never felt that way 
So, so yeah. So like, so when I answered that, that's where I was at. I was like, I mean, like, here are the reasons why it doesn't bug me. And I have no idea. It'd be, it'd be nice if they did, you know, like wrap up that loose end, but I don't know. But after thinking about it more and after talking now, I really think they're going to confront that. I think one one other thing that the last episode did with the flashback is remind us as an audience, here's the origin. This is the origin of Dark Octavia and all the cruel, terrible things that she's done as a result of becoming Dark Octavia when Lincoln died. You know, so that kind of reminding, and, and that was tied in with that like scene, I think, at the beginning where she was so cruel to Bellamy, where it was clearly meant to be showing her being cruel, underscoring this is Octavia's problem. This is Octavia's problem. This is not Bellamy's problem. This is Octavia's problem. So, so like them highlighting that would make it make total sense that like the bookend to that, you know, the res- resolution to that is for her to return to that and kind of return to Bellamy and say some kind of acknowledgement, not an outright apology, but some kind of like resolution. But then also with like the Ilian stuff, I think like you point out with Lincoln's, her dropping Lincoln's knives is, is maybe a piece of her letting go of that grudge. I think so. I really do think so. And can, and going out with Ilian and maybe, and maybe sort of seeing him work through the betrayal and the, of his own family that he caused them pain, the way that pain and love are so mixed up together and, and him having to work with forgiving himself. I think that's also very clearly kind of like, you know, Octavia's coping with her pain for Lincoln, but, but like that suggests that she's also coping with her pain, the pain for her that's wrapped up with Bellamy, both the, the way that she felt that he was responsible, that, but then also all of the terrible shit that, they, that she's done to him in the meantime, you know? I agree with you. I really, really think that a textual Blake sibling talk their shit out kind of resolution moment of some kind is coming toward the end of the season. And part of why I feel that is one of the things that is, that's kind of, I think, how you know at the end of this episode that we're meant to believe that Octavia has turned a corner is that both at the beginning when she makes Ilian get on the horse so she can take him to, you know, they can find shelter from the rain instead of letting leaving him to let him yeah. die. And then at the end, when she, like, reaches out to him and, is like, says that she'll, you know, that she'll take him home. It's been a long time since we've seen Octavia do something kind for somebody. Yeah, like yeah, you know? that's true. And I feel like that's part of why I felt like I was sort of seeing or possibly hallucinating <laughs> these little flashes of sort of of season one Octavia. What drove season one Octavia was that she had a level of like moral conviction that helped keep other characters centered. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the narrative used her sometimes as the voice of right and wrong and the voice of peacefulness and of like trying to bridge things with the grounders and of being anti-torture and seeing Lincoln's full humanity before anybody else did. She was a person who had a capacity for kindness and humanity that at really key moments in season one helped shape the way other characters behaved and she lost that and even in some ways I think before Lincoln died she was becoming this sort of harder shell version of herself and over the course of season three you know like Lincoln's kill order she doesn't want to be back at the camp she wants to be out with the grounders she feels like she's lost her home like she becomes this angry person and then it sort of ossifies into this impermeable shell when Lincoln dies and like nothing's getting through. But the small moment of this person who up until yesterday she absolutely hated because he took away her home and the thing that was going to save everybody from, you know, from prime fire, being willing to be like, get on my horse, I'll take you home and I'll come back there with you. I think that her refinding that piece of her humanity that's been missing for a long time 
what Bellamy had to learn from this episode was that he had to really face the fact that he isn't responsible for either what happens to Octavia or for the things that Octavia does. Yes, yes. And I think I think what Octavia had to learn from this is that Bellamy and Lincoln's death and Pike and all those other external forces, Octavia had to understand that those things are not responsible for what Octavia does. Yes, yes. And so finding her way back to being a person who can do a kind thing for a near stranger and finding her way back to a, a side of herself, I think that she lost after you know after this loss turned her into somebody completely different from the person that she was before i think she's sort of taking the first steps towards forgiveness and empathy for bellamy not just for her inaccurate perception of his responsibility and lincoln's death but also like their whole relationship yeah like the whole lifetime of things that she has fairly or unfairly blamed him for that were really choices that she made herself or were choices that were external and were nobody's fault yeah yeah you know they both moved a little bit closer towards a reconciliation today it just doesn't really look like it yet because it landed in a really dark place but they cleared away some shit that had to get cleared away yeah well i mean they're going through the kind of individual movement and development that they need to get to to be at a point where when they come back together they can actually resolve their shit octavia's side ends on a kind of note of hope and bellamy's side i think is a little bit darker because he ends with repeating back to Kane the line about can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved which I sort of read as being about Octavia but a little bit about himself too I I read it as him telling Kane like stop trying to save yes 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 I very much read it as being about like yes I think a sort of a sense of resignation about about Octavia but really him telling Kane like like listen to your own lesson (laughs) right right yeah. yeah yeah Which, so I think that, and that lands Bellamy in a really, really dark place. If he's sort of declaring that he doesn't want to be saved, you know, that can mean a lot of things. And I think, like, he doesn't want to be saved in the sense that when, when Cain says to him, your mother would be proud of the man that you've become, I know I am. He doesn't want to be saved in the sense that he doesn't want Cain to save him from his guilt. You know, he doesn't want that kind right, of... Right, right, right. He doesn't want to be absolved in that way. Or, or, or... He doesn't think he can be. Um, but then also sort of there's a suggestion that he doesn't want to be saved, like, period. Which is, I think, it's super sad. You know, it's, like, really sad. And like, but I think it's really, really interesting. You know, because the one Bellamy that we've never seen, the one Bellamy we've never seen, is the Bellamy who doesn't on some level want to be saved, want to live. In season one, in his darkest moment, he threw away that radio because he wanted to live. Because he didn't want them to come down and kill him. In Mount Weather in season two, like he was, you know, in like John McClane superhero self-sacrificing mode. But he was still fighting tooth and nail to live. We've never seen a Bellamy who isn't fighting to survive. Fighting to keep everyone else alive, but also fighting to keep himself alive. So I'm really, really interested to see how this manifests. Well, and I think especially because what we saw from the trailer is that in some capacity that we have no context for his story in the next episode is between him and Jasper. Yeah. Which I can't I really like I cannot see Bellamy going full nihilist like Jasper. Oh no no. No, I think it may be the thing that pushes him back the other Yeah, direction. I think so too. I think so too. Cuz I think it'll force him to rearticulate 
to himself, you know, through maybe through saying it's Jasper, like what are his reasons for trying to live? He and 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 since he's kind of let go of Octavia, you know, since he's accepted, I think maybe finally that she can't that he can't save her. Then he, you know, then like this is why it's exciting. Bellamy has to figure out a reason for his existence that isn't Octavia. He's literally never mm-hmm. had that, you know, like he's never understood himself as existing in a meaningful way apart from her and apart from his capacity to keep her alive. And then by extension, right. other people, which is like, again, like, I, you know, like our friend Sarah says, the thing that makes you great is also the thing that makes you suck. You know, and that is so <laughs> true of Bellamy because that's what makes oh, yeah. Bellamy so wonderful. Like that's what makes us love him. But that's also the thing that fucks him up the most. That's the thing that's really, really hurting him. So I think it'll be like fascinating to watch him, fi- watch Bellamy figure out what makes him so special. You know, like Clark knows, he doesn't know. I think one piece of this, of this Kane and Bellamy story that we cannot ignore the significance of is the fact that they they hit this place of sort of deep and profound rock bottom existential hopelessness facing their own futility when the griffins are so far yeah. away like yeah. the, like the people the people whose whose role in their lives is to remind them like you are a you are more than the sum of the worst things that you've done but also you are more than just your utility in doing things for other yes, people yes you you as a human being have worth and value to me because i care about you i think that both for Kane and, and for bellamy abby and clark are the people who remind them of that kind of core yeah yeah the similarities between them both in this episode and also kind of in what this episode brings to light about the whole of who these two men are was really fascinating because the thing they're both punishing themselves for is inability is like is not being able to save everyone yeah so so bellamy is torturing himself not just because he can't save mark and peter but because of what his inability to save mark and peter brings up about his inability to protect octavia and kane meanwhile has reconciled himself in a more kind of pragmatic way a little earlier to the fact that nobody can save Mark and Peter, but Kane is distraught that Kane can't save Bellamy. Yeah. And he can't save Harper. You know, he can't save And them he can't save Harper from their suffering and from their self-recrimination. And he can't help Abby. Yeah. Bellamy and Harper and Abby are people that he cares about on this really deep level that are facing painful choices or painful moments. And all he wants to do is make it better. And he can't. And he's trying so hard to like hold this whole thing. And he's saying all the stuff that he normally says and it's not working. Exactly. Yeah. And, And he's right. Like he's everything that he says is true, like is, is objectively true and sensible and is just the wrong thing to say in that yeah. moment. It isn't helpful. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the way Bellamy feels about Octavia and the way Kane feels about Bellamy being so directly parallel to each other where what they're confronting is like, I care about this person in this familial way. You know, like I think that, like it really, really bringing up Kane's desire to have this surrogate dad relationship with Bellamy me that Bellamy is just sort of not ready to sign off yeah, on it, yeah. you know and so I think contrasting those things really putting them in a place of facing the worst things you've ever done the worst things that you sort of secretly think and fear about yourself and reminding us that part of what they have in common that is just so like just so deeply and profoundly heartbreaking because I feel like it's 
it's such a relatable human impulse is that sort of secret feeling that the only reason people keep you around is because of what you do for them. Like if Bellamy stopped trying to save people, if Cain stopped being like, you know, the, the chancellor holding everyone together, that they secretly feel like they don't have inherent worth. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If Bellamy fails to rescue somebody, if Kane fails to save somebody, that to them is like, but this is all I bring to the table. All I have is this sort of self-sacrificial impulse to make, you know, to fix everything for everybody else. And I always put myself last. I don't see myself in this equation at all. I think it's really deliberate that that that, that could only happen in the absence of Clark and yeah, Eddie. I think you're totally it could right. Only happen yeah. in a situation where where neither of them are accessible, you know. And even when he like he talks to Abby, but like Abby has the bigger problem. At right, that right, right. He's like, all right, my shit's on the back burner. Like we gotta, you know, right. Like it's about you right now. Yeah, that's which is what he does. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's so happy to hear her voice. He's so happy to talk to her, but he can't let himself take a moment for himself because what she needs is like, all right, here, you know. And then Harper needs him, you know. So Kane, Kane, and Bellamy can't give each other what they need because they have the same sort of core psychological problem. Right, exactly. Which is yeah. this crippling inability to believe in themselves yes yes i think that's totally it sidebar i would like to i would like to give extra kudos to henry ian cusick and bob morley and uh Paige turco because not only were they phenomenal in this episode but all of them were acting against radios for 90 percent of the episode. yes like they were doing that shit with no other human being to play off of and that yep. is like yep exponentially harder and so, oh like, as God. good as you thought that they were, multiply that by about a thousand because, like... Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that makes you want to put your fist through a wall that, like, Emmys never recognize genre right. television Seriously. shows. Seriously. Yeah. Like... Because, like, all all three of those actors, and I would say, and Chelsea Reese, too. Right. Because she was, like, against, like, a guy just, like, lying there 90% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was only like Chelsea Reese doing magical things with her beautiful, perfect face. <laughs> right. And just watching this like tiny little blonde badass, you know, warrior chick, watching her just crumple. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, but the, the three of them with the radios is like, this is like, this is your Emmy submission reel right here. Seriously. And it'll never happen because sci fi television shows always get screwed right. out of their awards. Right. And, it's, and it's bullshit because they were able to like pull that much fucking emotion and pathos. Like, sitting alone with a radio in front of your face, not even, like, hearing the other actor give you their lines in the way that we see it. No. Like, that shit's not happening. Yeah, you've got, you've got like, a crew member or a script supervisor standing off stage being like, Abby, blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay, Ian, go. Right, 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 yeah. I think just as a piece of acting craft, what that, like, the, um, and actually, and, and, and this is part of what I, those were moments where I felt like I just was so smitten with the writers too, was like the the depth to which both in the writing and the performance, just like, even if we strip away everything except those radio scenes, yeah, the depth to which they understand what drives these characters. And in a way where for Kane, I was kept thinking about when, when the dust is settled, whenever, however many seasons the show runs, however many more episodes we have, I feel like this is going to 
no matter what happens, going to end up in my like top three favorite Kane episodes because it was every single piece of who Marcus Kane is as a person synthesized into a cogent whole for the absolute very first time when he says to Harper, who you want to be doesn't always win. Yeah. And it's like, that's it. That's you. That's who you are as a person. That's the link that ties season four Kane to season one Kane. That's the link that ties how much he loves Abby to the fact that he hated or the fact that that he floated Aurora. Yeah. Like that's the, the tie between all of those things is you are still that man and you did those things and those things had consequences. And no matter how penitent you are, you can't erase the things that you did. Mm-hmm. And all of the work that he's done in, in season three and season four to become a better version of that man doesn't change the fact that the cane who floated people on the ark for stealing medicine, like all those, like he's still in there, you know? And, right, right. But that there is something in the act of trying to be better. Like I think what he's part of what he's trying to tell Harper when he says it to Harper is you're still supposed to try. And sometimes you're up against it and there was never going to be a way that you could win. But like you still did the right thing by sitting by this man's side and being with him and doing the best that you could. But but you didn't win because that's the way the world works. Well, and like I said to you earlier today when we were texting about this, like this this episode retroactively made me feel a lot better about that Kane Bellamy exchange we got in, in episode one that we did that whole sidebar meta meta uh-huh, station uh-huh, Bellamy uh-huh. thing. Because I think this resolved like the two issues that I had with that scene, it kind of addressed them straight out. And the and the first one of course is Bellamy calling out Kane on what relationship they do have and the relationship they don't have. So Bellamy kind of like drawing in the sand, like you are a mentor, you are a father figure, but you are not my father. There are limits to the things that you get to say to me. And there are limits to the wisdom that you have. And then also the the way that the little speech that, that Kane gave to Bellamy about, you know, you do better tomorrow than you did today, blah, blah, blah. You know, sort of like felt to me a little bit facile in that moment. And I think this, this, episode is where we see like the meat behind that speech yeah. to Kane. We see what that means to Kane. So so this storyline, the Arcadia part of this episode was the part that had that was arguably the darkest because you know like the the Octavia thing, you know like we got a glimmer of of hope and light for Octavia at the end. The twist on Silence Island was dark, but not in the same way. You know, it was like it's sort of like dark plot right, right. implications, but not. This was the one that was sort of like emotionally land, ended in the darkest place. But I think Kane is the is the note of hope in this because Kane is the character in this who shows who's kind of lived through and shows that like in this darkest moment when when it's just you facing down the things that you've done. You know, Harper having to face down the choice that she made in a split second that cost this man his life and Bellamy facing down a lifetime of choices and, and, and what he perceives as failures. And then Kane himself having to reconfront who he was on the arc. When the chips are down, you are always going to be the person who did those things that will never change. You can't change the past. That's a part of you. You can't change the pain that you caused those people and you can't control whether or not they forgive you for it or whether they stop feeling it or whether it might not come back and, and, and affect your relationship to them someday. All you can do is keep making choices in the moments when you have them and trying to make the right choices and trying to make it better. That's it. That's all you have. And like, that's what he tells Harper, you know, like what you can do right now is make it better for him until he dies. That's the choice you have in this moment. The choice you made 
five minutes ago, it's not relevant anymore. All you can right, do right. is make the choice now, now in this moment. All you can do is make the choice that you have. And so I think like that's the glimmer of hope. It's dark right now, but Kane kind of shows it's not that you move past it. It's not that it's over. It's that your life keeps marching forward. You keep having to make choices. You keep having, you keep getting opportunities to do better. The only time when you stop choosing is when you're done, you know, is when you're choosing death. But no one in the show has ever chosen death. You know, they're not going to do that. You know, not even Octavia this episode, not even Jasper, you know, so far. So, yeah. So, like, to me, that's the little glimmer of hope. I think so, too. And I think that there's something really, really, really heartbreaking, but I think also with with a potential to be something that, that becomes kind of redemptive where the story goes next in, like, the way that it made me sort of think differently about that scene from from um, episode 401 between Bellamy and Kane was it 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 really in such a heartbreaking way it forces Kane to look at his relationship with Bellamy and Bellamy's relationship with him are very different. Yeah, what he understands their relationship to be is different from what yeah. Bellamy understands the relationship to be. The arc really begins, I think, with the with the culling, but really particularly like when we come back after the time jump at the beginning of season three. And we see that Kane has become Kane, the man of peace, Kane, the future chancellor, Kane, the person who is like everybody's dad, Kane, like, the, you know, like Kane with the beard, this new kind of like softer, warmer, more emotionally open version of himself who, who is so defined by his relationship with these characters. And that's when we really get the beginnings of this kind of like paternal mentorship, you know, sort of thing that he has, you know, that he has with, with Bellany. So, so it's been a really long time since Kane has had to confront the fact that to many of these people, I think not just to Bellamy, he's never stopped being that guy, you know? And like part of where I'm really interested in where, where I feel like this episode set up, like my big question was up until this episode, Kane had had some beautiful moments and some beautiful kind of like little mini storylines and some beautiful character development and no arc. And I was yeah, kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's his journey going to be? What's his arc going to be? And I think what they teed up so beautifully here is this really, really ugly, messy question of Cain is inarguably in every way a better human being since he came to Earth. But it is possible that he's a less effective leader yeah. than he was on the arc when yeah. he was like, Jaha's ruthless second-in-command guy because he's preaching peace that people don't want. He's trying to reach out to, you know, like his relationships with, with Octavia and Bellamy have been kind of torpedoed. He and Abby worked so hard to, like, build Arcadia into a home and it's been burned down. Jaha has always been, I think, a more savvy and intuitive politician and Jaha has figured out some ways to get people to do, you know, what he wants or needs them to do in a way where, like, I think the question of like, do you have to be a leader who is more like Jaha to keep peace in, you know, in these troubled times? And maybe is this leading towards unpacking some big questions about who he is as a leader, the leader of these people, both kind of like in an individual kind of mentorship relationship way and also in sort of like a bigger macro way that we're seeing that there are some challenges that are presented by his desire to just like love and protect everybody that it's really difficult for him sometimes to make those harder choices but i think that 
I think that for us to get to that place, like I think for them to sort of tee up that arc of like the big question of what does it take to be the leader that these people need in this extreme situation that they're in? I think that we had to get a really, a really dark and terrible and painful reminder, both for us, the audience, and for Kane as a person, that he has possibly, to a degree, I think, been a little bit in denial to himself that he has erased things merely by being penitent for them. Yes. You know, yes. like that, like that, that the thing itself is gone. And the impact of that thing is gone because of how hard he has worked, which is true, because of how hard he has worked, like he has transformed himself as a human being, like in in a thousand different ways. And that's all real. But also Bellamy's mom is still dead and she will always be dead. And that will always be Kane's fault. And that will always be a piece of their relationship. And that doesn't mean, you know, it's just like with the shock lashing. It doesn't mean that there's nowhere forward to go from that. It just means that when you talk about the evolution of Kane and Abby's relationship, you cannot omit the shock lashing just because it is uncomfortable. You have to talk about the shock lashing, what it means, how it changes them, how it reshifts the power dynamic, how it sends Kane into this place where he realizes, like, where he's so appalled at the thing that he did that he takes off the chancellor pin and hands it to Abby. Right. You know, like, that he's like, I'm not fit to be your leader because I did this thing. So it's really ugly, but he has to face it, you know, in order for the thing that happens next to happen next and for their relationship to proceed from there, you know. And so I think that Bellamy had to say that and Kane had to hear it in order for us, the audience, to be primed to be comparing in a bunch of different ways, season one Kane and season four Kane and kind of all the steps sort of in between in terms of like the man he is, the leader he is, the way that he makes these choices and 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 sort of getting into the kind of running themes that the show's bringing up, you know, and all these different characters about like, what does forgiveness mean? What does redemption mm-hmm. mean? Like mm-hmm. what, what are, you know, what are the ways that the things that you've done kind of stick with you and and I think that Bellamy and Kane are kind of the perfect two characters for that you know story because they're so shaped by it in some really similar ways so so I'm I I think because of the sort of overarching rising from the ashes theme I think this episode ends them in like the bleakest darkest place but I think it's teeing up an arc for them the same way I feel like about the Blake siblings where they're going to find their way they're going to come back together by the end of it with a relationship that's built on, I think potentially like a more honest and truthful foundation. I agree. You have to kind of like get back to brass tacks, you know, before yeah. you can really, yeah, yeah. like this is like a fundamental, like structural problem. This is not a kind of like, let's spackle it over issue on either side. I think that's where uh, both Bellamy and Octavia are going back to, you know, and why it's so hard to watch, but why it's really necessary. And, you know, it's interesting, like I got... I got an Anon um, this evening, which I haven't answered yet, because I sort of thought, like, it made me think a bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about on here. But basically, like, it starts out, the person asks, wants to know if I still think, do you think Bellamy still loves Octavia as much as he used to before 407, but now it's in a different way? And basically, like, the kind of the point of what they're saying is, you know, I'm all for letting go of his unhealthy sense of responsibility for Octavia and the rest of his people. But at the same time, it's such an important part of his character, um, his protectiveness. Um, I would feel like it would be out of character for him to just lose that. And so I think like that, like that's an interesting question. Bellamy's sort of like responsibility for her and, and his protectiveness and all that. Like that is that is like a very fundamental part of Bellamy. What I feel like 
I think this sort of like core mistake that Bellamy has made that I think also the fandom has made, has kind of maybe imbibed from Bellamy and then just kind of accepted is conflating his overprotectiveness and sense of responsibility and all that kind of stuff, like conflating my sister, my responsibility with love as if those are the same thing. And I think like that's, that's the like core fallacy that Bellamy has to unlearn and that we sort of have to like Bellamy has to learn how to separate his love for Octavia from all this other baggage my sister, my responsibility baggage stuff in order, not only for her, like, I mean, he has to learn to let her go. You know, he does have to learn to kind of like, we, you know, like let her, let her deal with the stuff that's her stuff. Like there's a bunch of stuff in this episode. Like seriously, these writers, I'm so astonished that this is the first episode they ever wrote because like, it's me. I know. <laughs> but like, I was thinking back to, you know, if we think about the beating scene, the Kate, you know, the, the Octavia beating Bellamy is kind of like the beginning of this arc. So, like, Octavia needs to reckon with the anger that, you know, the, ang- the, the way that her pain turned to anger that has made her do terrible things. She also has, has to reckon with the inaccurate um, and inappropriate amount of responsibility that she's attributed to Bellamy for Lincoln's death. And we're seeing her working through that, both those things. I think pretty explicitly, you know, like pretty clearly. And I, so I think she's going to confront those things, I think, and I hope. On Bellamy's side, though, I was thinking back to that scene as, as we were talking about it earlier. And there was that one stage direction in the text of that, because they released the pages of that scene. And I remember we talked about this because it was a little bit disturbing, but, but there's like some language in the scene, in the description of the scene, that basically, like, I can't remember the, what it says verbatim, but it says or implies, like, the basic meaning is Bellamy basically, like, lets her do it because his feeling is, like, if she needs to do it, he has to let her. It, it, so it's a combination of him feeling guilty, like he deserves it for Lincoln, but also his a sense in which, like, he feels like this is something he has to do for his sister. This is like a piece of that, my sister, my responsibility. Right. If what you need is to pummel me until I am bloody, then I have to let you do that because otherwise you'll be unhappy and stopping you from being unhappy is my job. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, so that's, that kind of shows like Bellamy's, Bellamy's arc, Bellamy's sort of like development that he has to go through in order to resolve this thing that started with that beating. Like it's not just Octavia. It's not going to be resolved. Like the issue that the core issue of that scene is not going to be resolved if Octavia realizes it's wrong and apologizes. You know, like that's not actually going to solve it because the piece of it that Bellamy has to work through, he has to understand that his response to that was also wrong. You know what I mean? Like he has to internally, he has to figure out like, I did not deserve that. And the feeling that I did and the feeling of responsibility for her that led me to accept it was inappropriate and wrong. And he has to let go of that and begin like, like we uh, we were saying earlier, he has to find a kind of like way of understanding his worth that is separate from what he can give Octavia that's going, you know, and like, that's the basis on which 
he would be able to experience that beating and understand himself as not deserving it. Yeah, I think that they need to figure out how to love each other as equals, like as siblings, instead of in this sort of like pseudo-parental, Bellamy takes emotional ownership for every single negative thing that Octavia experiences kind of way. And they both are doing that to each other. Or they're, they're both doing that to Bellamy, basically. Yes, 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 yes. And I want to be very, very clear about this because I think it's like a sensitive issue. I think they are both complicit in it in that this is the relationship they've always had. They're they're merely acting out, you know, sort of working according to the dynamics and the identities and the understanding of themselves and each other and their relationship that they've had since they were children. Right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not like Bellamy's complicit, like he deserves it, in that, like, ne- neither of them literally know any other way to be. Exactly, exactly. Like, so so this is not to say that he is in any way responsible for what she does to him. Right, right, right. Yes, yes. That's a good, that's a good clarification. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Just, just to be clear. So, like, this is a product of a dynamic that is, like, deeply dysfunctional and fucked up. That needs to change. And the and part of the reason that that dynamic has persisted so far over time and reached that point is because Bellamy believes in that dynamic as much as Octavia does. So, you know, that that, that dynamic needs to be broken down, removed, and then rebuilt. And, and there's a part of that, of doing that, that Bellamy has to do for himself on his own. Well, and that's where I feel like there is something in a in a very dark kind of way. I think there is something... I think I think the place where there is a tiny little glimmer of future hope in what we saw of Bellamy's storyline in this episode is that in that very dark and devastating kind of resignation that he has when he realizes that he can't save everybody, I think contained in that is the beginnings of, I think, that recognition that, like, he was never going to be able to protect Octavia from everything and we see him beginning I think in some small way to start to let that go yes no I agree I agree I think I mean accepting that as true that he was never going to be be able to save her is already so huge for him like that was the humongous first step that he that he sort of fundamentally viscerally never believed um and this is the first time that he's ever come to believe it so that right there is humongous I think also a part of him coming to accept that was him choosing to stay in that car. He chose his life over yes. trying to save them. Like that's also huge, you know, like choosing himself and sort of acknowledging that there's some worth to his life. So like, I think those are, those are much, much, much bigger, bigger, much bigger steps than they maybe appear to be on, on first glance. And then the other thing that I just like that, that, that asked made me start to think about, a little bit more deeply is okay. So thinking about separating love from the expression of love or, or separating love from the ways that we're sort of, we've sort of learned to identify love, if that makes sense. So Bellamy loves Octavia. He will always love Octavia. Him, Learning to let her go, learning to let go of his responsibility for her doesn't change his love for her at all. What it changes is the way that he understands how to express that love. The way that he understands, like the kind of relationship he understands that love to to have, to create between him and Octavia. So, I mean, I think the fa- the core fallacy there is um, that kind of lurking belief that erecting boundaries between you and your loved ones is an act that diminishes love. 
And that mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. true. That is something yeah. that is not true. But it often feels true in a number of ways because I think, you know, we sort of culturally, we we so often like romanticize love that doesn't have boundaries or that doesn't have like sort of healthily mm-hmm. mm-hmm. strong boundaries between people. Um, that it kind of comes to look like the highest form of love is the kind of love in which you sort of subsume yourself in someone else or sacrifice everything okay. in yourself to someone else. So, so, but this is kind of like mixing up a bunch of things that aren't necessarily, you know, love. And I think like, when I was thinking about how, how to try to like explain what's the difference between love and the kind of like dysfunctional way that Bellamy has learned to understand love. But I think like, but this is the genius of this episode. They gave us that in this episode. And it's the moment when Bellamy remembers Octavia being born. It's so perfect for Bellamy that when he's having this discussion with Kane, you know, and when, when like he, that sort of like train of association starts, you know, it goes from, yes. from Mark and Peter to Octavia. And then you can kind of see him flashing back from, you know, you think about Octavia and he goes back to that foundational moment when she was born. And it's like, so, and it's so heartbreaking, you know, him remembering my mom was passed out, you know, so like he was all alone. He, she was yeah. like unconscious, you know, she was so helpless. Again, like all the praise to Bob Morley for that, because like you could just sort oh of like God. feel yeah. the anguish. But, oh. and, and like, it's so visceral, that memory of him. So his mom passed out alone with this tiny, fragile baby in his arms that, that she's just been told is his responsibility. And I think that's the, like, the importance of that flashback is that that's the Genesis moment. I mean, obviously in a literal way, like, that was the moment I was born, you know, so that's the moment, that was my sister, my responsibility moment, you know, whatever. But, like, in a a deeper way, that was the moment, that was the moment that formed the Bellamy that we know now, formed the Bellamy that believes that he exists in order to save other people. Like, that's what makes him, gives him worth. Because in, in that moment, and I think it tells you also... It also handily kind of like gives us a schematic for the kind of like specific ways and reasons why that that is like, you know, a way, you know, like a, a kind of way of operating that makes sense for Bellamy, but also something that he has to let go. Because if you think back to that moment, like, okay, so Octavia, his sister is born and he's holding her. That's the moment mm-hmm. when he starts loving her, right? Like when he has this right. attachment right. to her. But it let's like but if you think about what else is happening in that moment, what else starts, what else is generated in the moment that love comes into being? And I think the answer is the other things that he's feeling in that moment with Octavia are fear and anxiety and a sense of again, you know, responsibility, but also I think the terror of helplessness. Yeah. So like you can see, so like this explains so much about Bellamy. He's six years old. This is probably the first real, like, clear memory he has. It is, like, seared into his brain. It is absolutely the most formative thing for him. And in that moment, that is the moment when in his little child brain, love and fear and anxiety and responsibility were permanently fused into one thing. So that he Mm -hmm. believes that loving his sister, you know, it's like it's all just inextricably wrapped up for him with this absolute okay. utter terror of the, the helplessness that he feels to save this tiny fragile thing. And I think it also tells us a little something a lot about like the way that, you know, the like chain of associations, we understand a lot more about how Bellamy has been seeing Octavia. Cause like, you know, when he looks at Octavia, when he thinks about Octavia, he always is thinking about this fragile, helpless thing. 
And she's yes. not fragile and helpless anymore. That's not true. It's totally understandable that he cannot disassociate these things in his mind. But it's also not true. Here's the moment that Bellamy keeps reliving in different forms over and over again. Tiny, helpless Octavia and, and this kind of like fusion of love and fear and responsibility and helplessness. That's what he's been reliving over and over and over again. And yeah. the thing that he has to realize now is that he, he, has to, he has to separate out what was true in that moment from what was not true. Octavia is no longer fragile and helpless. He is no longer responsible for her. He cannot save her. His inability to save her is not failure or helplessness. It's simply a fact of life. Um, and his love for her is not the same thing or needs to be separated from his fear. Um, because I think like fear is the big thing that's been driving, you know, fear is what drives his need for control and his need to take power. His, his absolute, his fear and his terror of what could happen if he lets go, if he relaxes for one second. Like, that's what he has to let go of. And only yeah. when he lets go of that, only when he learns how to separate those things, you know, when he learns how to, like, have his love for Octavia and let go of his, so the like, fear-driven need for, for, you know, for control and for responsibility, will he really be able to figure out, like, you know, who he is, what his worth is, what makes him Bellamy, like, really makes him Bellamy apart from her. And, like, he has to go through that journey, too, before he can encounter her again and see her and not tiny baby Octavia. It reminds me, I think, in some ways we got, we've gotten some sort of shadows of this over the past couple of seasons in watching the, you know, the sometimes very fraught evolution of Clark and Abby's relationship, you know, like where we, where you see the protectiveness having to give way to Abby's realization that Clark is an adult woman and that there are times when she has to step back and let Clark make choices that she can't protect her from. And so her kind of acknowledgement of when she tells Kane they're not kids anymore, you know, like there's, we get these sort of little moments where we sort of see her figuring out how to kind of let go and how to pull back and that the desire to protect her will always be there, but that Clark is an adult who can take care of herself and she, like, and she has to sort of like let her, so they, they sort of, we've been watching them kind of recalibrate their relationship so that they can, on some level, meet more as like not I guess not equals because it's a mother and daughter but like as like adult women and that like that doesn't mean that Abby doesn't want to just like wrap her up and protect her baby but it also means that she that she doesn't that she knows yeah. that she can't yeah she knows it's not appropriate to wrap Clark up and be like no you're my baby girl I want to protect you like like we, we've watched her kind of go through in some very sort of painful steps like watching both of them kind of re- negotiating that relationship like you do with your parents and I think that the parental element of Bellamy and Octavia's relationship being complicated by the fact that he's not her parents they're siblings and so it's like they don't even necessarily realize that that's there yeah but it's like he kind of has to go through you know again more like more Abby Bellamy character parallels like he <laughs> has to kind of go through that same journey of realizing Octavia is an adult woman and and your desire to make sure that she's always happy is both laudable because it means that you love her and care for her and also not healthy or developmentally appropriate anymore. Right, right. You know, because she's not a tiny little baby whose hands you are protecting from a hot stove. <laughs> right. And so I think that he, I think the 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 futility, of, like his, his sort of realization that he can't, that there was never going to be anything that he could do 
to make this terrible thing not happen. I think part of why that's really important is that in in that kind of futility and hopelessness that we see him feeling about, you know, about Mark and Peter, but that's really at its core about Octavia. I think what's important there is that, and it's sort of, it's sort of subtle, but like Bellamy saying there was never going to be anything that I could do equals Bellamy saying this was not my fault equals Bellamy's realization that Bellamy did not kill Lincoln. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think way deep down in there, there's the like, and this is part of why I think as dark as it is, I think it's a, I think it's a hopeful, I think he ends in a hopeful place in that hopelessness because he's let go of a bunch of things that were myths that he was telling himself that were making things worse instead of better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, you know, and, and so I think things that like seemed comforting, but were actually really destructive. Um, and I think, so I think that for both of them now, we've landed at a place where they have both definitively like in textual canon, they've both abandoned this kind of retconned notion that Bellamy is a person who is primarily responsible for what happened to Lincoln and to what happened to Octavia after that. And so I think that that, I think that being, that weight being lifted I think for Octavia, what that leads to is that it it deflates some of the anger that's really been driving her. And I think for Bellamy right now, it's leaving him with this kind of sense of purposelessness. But they both have sort of, I think, and I think really for a lot of these characters, like this episode was so much about like, everyone had to kind of shed their illusions. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like everybody had to be like, you know what? This is who I really am. And for most of them, it was not, pretty it was often very very painful like i am this person i am a person who's capable of making this choice or i'm the person who did this thing or i'm the person who can't do this thing that i want to be able to do and so i think they landed in different places but that kind of like purging of the false stories that you tell yourself about who you are and the honest facing of the reality even when that reality feels like devastatingly soul crushingly hopeless it's still progress yes exactly and i like i was thinking about this sort of thinking through this stuff today and i like it reminded me of i don't know i think like there's a there's a way in which like even the most dysfunctional stuff that that you do like you you do it for a reason, right? Like it's a coping mechanism that did something for you at some point, but like you can wind up being really, really attached to it way past the point of its utility. And it's really painful to let go of that. You know, I was thinking about like, there was one point, like a few years when I was, when I was, you know, recovering from a a really, really severe uh, bout of depression. Like I, you know, it was like probably the worst of my adult life. And I was finally like actually genuinely in recovery and I was like on medication and a really good therapist and I was working through all this stuff. And, and one thing that was like really hard about it that I didn't anticipate that I think, I feel like no one really ever talks about it, but just like one really, really hard thing about it, like surprisingly difficult thing about like actually recovering from, from depression and like really actually like confronting my issues and working through it is that number one. I had to like let go of a version of myself that even though it was like actively fucking me up and really unhealthy and painful, turns out I was deeply attached to like really, really, I was very, very deeply attached to the kind of like image of myself that I had built around the, all this depression stuff. 
and like letting go of the depression stuff, but letting go of that version of me. And that was really hard, you know, cause like there's all these illusions, like a lot, there's a, there was like, there was illusions that I was clinging to because I, I at least felt like they made me feel better, even though the flip side was that they actually made me feel worse. But there's a kind of like idealized version of myself that I didn't want to let go of, even though it was like producing all this other stuff. So like that was surprisingly hard. And I feel like, you know, some of the stuff with like Bellamy and Octavia and, and sort of just like illusions in this episode is a, is like a version of that. It really, re- it's really, really, really hard to let go of something that you've that has been a core part of who you believed you were for a long time even when you know for a fact that you have to let it go in order to move on like even when you know that the best thing to do even when you know that it's hurting you it's like unbelievably difficult to let go of that that version of yourself or, or to stop believing in the things that you believed about yourself you know good and bad like you can you can sort of fall in love with the fucked up stuff you know yeah I feel like a version of that is happening, you know, where like, it's this horrible, painful thing because you have to confront like that thing you've been clinging to because like for whatever, it did something for you. And they, and also just like the sheer terror of like, and I, I remember this too. I also kind of had these moments of like, if I'm not this thing that I thought I was, this person that I thought I was, I have no idea who the fuck I am. The kind of like sheer like yeah. panic of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but if I let go of this thing that I've been clinging to as being like so important to my identity then like what what do I replace it with I don't know who the fuck I am you know so like I think that like for Bellamy that's a piece of it too and for Octavia too like if you let go of that then you have to confront the fact that you really don't know you have to like go about like rebuilding in your sense of self which is like terrifying you know like that's really oh, yeah. painful and hard to do and unbelievably like necessary and important but like this is the darkness that we're facing in the moment of like okay, I have to let go of this thing, but I got nothing to replace it right now. You know, like once I let go of this, yeah, I am an yeah. empty oh, yeah. shell. And that's, <laughs> that's like a phase that exists and it's, and it's rough. And I think maybe that's yeah. kind of what we're seeing. But I think that it's also like, it's the, it's the thing that you have to do in order to, to develop that sort of clarity of like that, that sense of who you are. But it's one of the things where like, when you're in it, it looks like nothing but just sort of like, pure confusing isolating darkness and and you have to sort of like push that and move forward in order to sort of be like okay so in the absence of this thing about myself that was comforting but not true what are the true things yeah you know? yeah, and yeah 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 like, like for me like I you know my as a kid growing up and really like for like for so much of my life my entire sense of who I was in some really key ways was shaped by being my mom's daughter yeah yeah like the world that we lived in, you know, like in our community and in our church and like like everywhere that I went, you know, like I went to the college my parents went to. My mom was on the alumni council. Every every place I ever went, every part of my life, and I and I sort of pushed back against it in some ways, but I also I leaned into it in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, yeah. Like you rebel against it, but you believe it. You know, it's like a core exactly. part of you. Yeah. And my and my other siblings didn't in the same way. You know, like that was that was like a that was a a piece of the grieving process after she died that was like specific to me, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. was like, I was the one who was like trying to be her, trying to emulate her, like defining myself in relation to her. So then after she died in conjunction with just sort of like the grief of having lost my mom, which would have happened regardless, combined with this, this sense of complete 
who am I devoid of the context of being like, if you're not right here yeah, for me to be like the junior version of yeah. you, I have no idea who I yeah. am. You yeah. know, I have no concept of, of that, you know, and, and one of the things that, that the sort of like kind of cognitive dissonance that you live in after you've been living with grief for a long time is nine years after, you know, it was, it was nine years ago on Saturday. And, um, and, and one of the things that you just sort of have to sit with that's like the complexity of, of family relationships is like, because she's gone, because she's not here anymore, because I have nine years of, of distance, like I have a, I have a clear sense of who I am as an individual human being that I probably never would have developed if she hadn't died. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I wouldn't trade it yeah. in a heartbeat right. to have her back, but I could only see myself in the context of my relationship to her when she was there. Yeah. So I see a lot of that with Bellamy and Octavia and each other where it's like, you kind of have to snap that cord in order to be able to, to see yourself as like, like I'm a, like I'm a, I'm a person unto myself in a way that's like, it's shaped by who my mom was and it's shaped by my whole family. But, but it's, but it's not just that I'm the junior version of her. And I couldn't see that like when she was in the room because she had this big personality because I loved her so, so much, you know, in some ways that I think in hindsight were unhealthy in the same way where it was like that closeness that we had and my desire to like be here and emulate her meant that I had no, I had much less of like an autonomous sense of self, yeah. I think, than like my sister and my brothers did because their relationships with her were just different. The part of the grieving process for me was being like, you are not here, so I don't know who I am anymore. So I have to start from scratch and figure out like, who is this person? Like in the absence of this relationship that I thought was sort of like my defining characteristic. Yeah. You know, yeah. like just like me on my own, who am I? You know, and I, so I think that there's, I think that for both of the Blakes, there's that sense of they've always defined themselves and been defined by the world around them as each other's, like she's, she's Bellamy's sister. He's Octavia's brother. Like that's, that's who they are, you know, and and then for Octavia, then she was like, and she found that with other people. But they're always defining themselves in the context of people around them. You know, Bellamy is Clark's second in command, or he's Kane's second in command, or he is the leader of the delinquents, you know, and Octavia was was Lincoln's person, and then she was Indra's second, and then she was Kane's, you know, like hired muscle and like but 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 like, okay, but who are you? Yeah. Yeah. You alone with nobody else there, you know, like you Octavia alone in a cave with a stranger. Yeah. You Bellamy trapped in a rover in the rain and you can't get out. Yeah. Who are you at your deepest base level? And they've never had to ask themselves that question because the other person was always there taking up all the oxygen in the rain. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and making it impossible for you to see yourself as a person apart from that context. And so I feel like so that's why I feel like even as like as tragic and dark and excruciating as it is watching them both like hit rock bottom and and how painful this like separation is for them the separation had to be that extreme to that level to allow them both to be like okay without the context of defining myself as your sibling who am i as a person right and they've never asked themselves that question yeah so like this 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 kind of extremity of, and, and like physical distance isn't enough either because they've been, right. they've been physically separated. It had to be a kind of like complete break to sort of force this, this reckoning. 
both within their relationship and then within themselves. Yeah, it had to function like a death. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, like, maybe that's, you know, again, the significance of Octavia's sort of symbolic uh-huh. death. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It, it has to be like a complete break in order to kind of create the psychological space. Yeah, like, Bellamy has to has to come to a place where he accepts that it is possible that Octavia will never come back. Right, right. And then reckon with what that means for him. Right. And I think, and I think it's a, it is important that she isn't dead because he wouldn't have to reckon with it in the same way if she was dead. The fact that exactly. she's alive yeah. and, like, choosing, you know, making the choices that she's making is important because that forces a different kind of, you know, reflection. And then, you know, I, you know, Octavia said, obviously, she's dead. She can't do anything. But, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I agree. So I think, like, overall, I remain really, really optimistic about this storyline. I think it's going great places. Oh, me too. And I, yeah. I'm still, I still am really optimistic for, about my prediction about Bellamy's arc last week. Because I think, you uh-huh. know, like, if this is uh-huh. a Bellamy uh-huh. who has to rebuild a sense of his self and a sense of his worth and what you know, makes him special or whatever. Um, without Octavia, I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense for him, for a piece of that to be him using the unique skills that he has, you know, as like, with like connecting with people as a motivational speaker, as, you know, the relationship that he has with Echo, the relationship that he has with Indra, um, you know, to kind of like be the person who can, who can forge some sort of detente to keep everyone alive. And and yeah. also like, if, if his crisis is, I can't save, I can't save everyone. He can't save people. You know, like this, this, this Nadir is about him not saving people. And also about him realizing that he can't save people who want, who don't want to be saved. Like it would also be thematically perfect if the kind of like triumph coming out of this is him saving everyone by convincing, you know, Asgata and Sky crew that they want to be saved. Yeah. You know, so there's like a beautiful sort of like parallel there. That would be great. Yeah. And it also gives, I think, I think what I, what I really like about, I'm still, I'm, I'm very optimistic about your theory and I'm super hyped for it. I really want it to be true because I think, I think part of what that does that's really important for Octavia is that it allows her to see Bellamy as a person in a context that has nothing to do with her. Like, like her, you know, Bellamy brokering a truce and Octavia either coming into that storyline or even just witnessing that, like Octavia seeing the things that Bellamy can do and seeing yeah. his his inherent value, like both of them realizing his inherent value to their people in ways that are completely divorced from Octavia. Yeah. I yeah. think is something that's just as important for her to understand, you know, like like what he what he brings, why he's special, you know. Um, that's more than just his ability to you know, protect her under the floorboards for 16 Right. Years. And it would also sort of bring the bookend to Clark's she'll, she'll come around and she'll see how special you are thing. Like, that would be her actually saying that. I think I think that the particular phrasing of what Clark said makes me feel like that line was sort of intentional foreshadowing. Because yeah. like we talked about, like, it's a, it's a peculiar way to phrase the way that you talk to somebody about his own sister. Right. <laughs> in, the, in the way that I think often peculiar phrasing of people saying intimate things to each other in ways that are oddly sentence structured it's like okay so this is a foreshadowing of a literal thing you know the same way that Kane telling Kane telling Abby you have to stay here to like lead our people out of the dark 
which which in the, which works just as a kind thing to say and the reason that he loves her, but also works as foreshadowing for Abby is literally the person who leads everyone into the city of light yeah, the second King's yeah, gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So things kind of have that sort of flip meeting. And so yeah. I feel like her saying, you know, she'll realize how special you are means what's going to happen in Bellamy's arc. Like the, the, the closing point of Bellamy's arc is something that only Bellamy can do. Yeah. Something like unique to Bellamy that is something that he alone could accomplish using all of the things that make him him, like you, like you said. Um, and Octavia witnessing that and seeing him doing that thing for reasons that have nothing to do with her. So it feels like that, like, like Clark's line could literally be setting up, like, exactly how you described it. You know, how the, like, Bellamy being the only person who could broker a truce, that that still feels like our best working theory, yeah. and I really want it to be true. Me too. I mean, like, more and more, I'm, I'm so into it. I just really hope that it's, I hope that it's right. Cross fingers. Yes, me too, me too. <laughs> So we'll be back next week for episode 408, which is called God Complex. And I think next week is going to be a little bit, we're going to have a couple of special guests. Is that right? Oh, is that is next week the week that you're... Yeah, I'm traveling. Okay, yeah. So so I'm traveling. So I will be, we'll be recording part of the podcast with special guest Hawthorne Whisperer. And then there's going to be a, another part of the podcast where I don't think I won't be there, but it'll be Claire and our friend Sarah. Friend of the podcast, Sarah, um, who who shares my deep and profound obsession with all things Cadigan. Yes. Uh, it may join me for the portion where we talk about the Jaha Cadigan Second Dawn, which which our sense is next episode is when we're going to get our next real big kind of look at um, at that storyline, yes. which is very very exciting. Yes, so. Um, yeah, and then we've got a three-week break, and then I think come back, and then and then in May, then I think it's just like boom, 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 right to the end. Yep. Um, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. Alrighty, we'll see you all next week. Bye!